Hello, everybody, and welcome to Charts with Dan. We're a little bit later than usual because there were a lot of numbers to pull in from the four-day Labor Day weekend here in the U.S., stuff that was delayed from Friday through Sunday, stuff that was coming in for Monday. So thank you for being patient as we put the show out in the evening as opposed to in the morning when we usually do. There is so much to talk about. The return of Top Gun Maverick to the top of the box office charts, the first-ever National Cinema Day, which was supposed to be a celebration and was for some people, and a lot more before before we get to any of that, though, I want to thank my partner here on the show, as they have been for many months now, Carbon Health. I'm very happy to be a partner with Carbon Health because I believe in their mission, which is to provide health care to as many people as possible, as affordably as possible. And there's so many different services that Carbon Health has to offer. You can check out the app, which can tell you where the nearest Carbon Health location is. You can also do virtual appointments with that app. Carbon Health also provides urgent care at its facilities. So if you're in need of a doctor nearby, you can see if there's a Carbon Health location. They can do all sorts of things if you go in for urgent care, tests, even x-rays. They keep walking appointments available as well for people that have crazy schedules that may just need to bring themselves or their kids when they have the time to go to the doctor. And if you live in California, you can even use Carbon Health as your primary care provider. Lots of great things that Carbon Health has to offer. I want to thank them as always for being my partner here on the show. And let's look at the box office results for the Labor Day weekend here domestically in the U.S. and Canada. And first, let's look at the top five for the three-day weekend. This is the one that officially goes in the books. And Top Gun Maverick, in its 15th week, returns to the top of the box office charts. It beat out Bullet Train by about $200,000 with a 27.4% increase in business over last weekend, $6,014,128. We're gonna break down that performance in just a few moments. Bullet Train is at number two with a 3.2% increase in its fifth week in second place with $5.7 million. Then in third place is Spider-Man No Way Home, which came out with a new, more fun stuff edition now, Sony tried to pull a little bit of a dirty trick with this movie because back on Saturday, when National Cinema Day was going on, $3 tickets nationwide, nobody really knew who was going to come out on top. Sony put out projections that said that Spider-Man No Way Home was going to be the number one movie over Labor Day weekend. They sent all that out to the trade saying like, yeah, we made like $7 million this weekend. We're the number one movie. Well, for the three-day weekend, they're the number three movie, and they're not even that high when you look at the four-day Labor Day weekend. This is what we talk about when we talk about estimated numbers and why I like to wait until the final numbers. The studios themselves are the ones who put out the estimates, and from time to time, you will see a studio that will try to kind of Put their thumb on the scale, take advantage of a news cycle, overestimate what a movie is going to do when the weekend numbers are coming in before the final numbers are available. And then when the final numbers come in, you see how it all shakes out. So you may have seen a story probably on Saturday or maybe even Sunday that this new version of Spider-Man No Way Home was the number one movie over Labor Day weekend. That's because Sony estimated that it was going to take in more money than it actually did. So pretty sneaky, Sony, but you can't hold up to the scrutiny of the final numbers. Spider-Man No Way Home at number three. DC League of Super Pets, a big winner from National Cinema Day weekend with a 21.7% increase. The invitation falls to number five. It lost 28.4% over last weekend, but for a second week of a movie, particularly a movie in the horror genre, that's not a very bad tumble. Beast is at number six in its third week with just over $4 million. Minions, the recipient of a big boost from National Cinema Day, a 29.5% increase over last weekend in its 10th week of release, a 3. 
$1.5 million total. At numbers eight and nine, this actually flip-flopped when the final numbers came in versus the estimates. Thor Love and Thunder in its ninth week has a 1% increase over its business last weekend with a $2.6 million total, 2.673, I should say. And then at number nine, Jaws and IMAX with $2.638 million. So a very close result there for numbers eight and nine. And coming in 10th place is Dragon Ball Super Superhero in its third week of release, a 48.4% drop with a $2,405,000 total. That number, by the way, as I'm doing the show, is still an estimate, not a final number yet in for Dragon Ball Super. Looking at what dropped out of the top 10 over this Labor Day weekend is where the Crawdads sing after seven weeks and 3,000 years of longing, which spent one short week in the top 10, now outside of it. So not a big surge of enthusiasm for 3,000 Years of Longing in its second week of release. Looking at the four-day Labor Day weekend, so this is Friday through Monday, again, Top Gun Maverick is number one with $7.9 million. Bullet Train, a close number two with $7.5 million. DC League of Super Pets rode that enthusiasm not just on National Cinema Day, but through the whole weekend. In its sixth week of release, it goes up to number three with $6.7 million, and that actually was was even more than was estimated because that bumps Spider-Man No Way Home, remember the movie that Sony said had one Labor Day weekend, actually comes in number four for the four-day weekend with $6.5 million, and The Invitation at number five with $6.1 million. So a bunch of movies all clustered there together. There are lots of things to tackle about this last weekend. Let's start with Top Gun Maverick, which returned to number one. And people say that I don't give myself enough credit sometimes, and I guess that may be true. So in that spirit, there were a few people that tweeted me, reminded me of some remarks that I made back in a show in June. Let's roll back the time and see those remarks. August and particularly September are usually kind of a doldrum uh, for box office releases. Maybe not quite as much as they used to be, but still uh, pretty much. I think it's very possible we could see something like what happened with the first Top Gun, where it's hanging around for a number of weeks. You get a particularly slow late summer, early fall, maybe post-Labor Day box office weekend, and there it goes back to number one again. History is a weird thing. Sometimes it repeats, you get echoes, it's like poetry, it rhymes. You never quite know what it's going to do, so I'm actually not giving up on the potential for Top Gun Maverick getting that number one spot again. It came really close this weekend, and if it hangs around, if they keep it off streaming, if it's still in those premium theaters, I could see a weekend down the road where it maybe snags that spot again. Only time will tell. Well, it turns out that that prediction was mostly right. I said maybe a post-Labor Day weekend, but it ended up happening on Labor Day weekend with an assist from National Cinema Day. But that's just how special this movie, Top Gun Maverick, is. Now, in that same episode, I'm actually going to commend myself and then correct myself. I was talking about movies that regained the number one position at the box office after losing it for a certain number of weeks. And I actually had the original Top Gun as having regained the position after 12 weeks. Weeks, that was incorrect, and I don't know exactly how I got the count wrong, but for movies after 1982 that regained number one after multiple weeks, Top Gun 1986 still has the longest gap between when it was number one and when it got the position back, but it was actually 14 weeks. It gave up number one between June 13th and September 5th of 1986, so it was a 14-week gap between Reigns at number one for Top Gun. There is now a movie that has the number two longest period between when it lost number one and when it regained number one, 
and that is Top Gun Maverick. It regained number one after 12 weeks, gave up the number one position between June 11th and September 2nd, actually remarkably similar to what happened with the original movie back in 1986, although there were many more number one movies in between. So since the last time Top Gun Maverick was number one at the box office, Jurassic World Dominion was number one for two weeks, Elvis was number one for a week, Minions The Rise of Gru was number one for a week, Thor Love and Thunder was number one for two weeks, Nope was number one for one week, DC League of Super Pets was number one for one week, Bullet Train had the number one spot for two weeks, Dragon Ball Super Superhero had the number one spot for one week, The Invitation for one week, and now, Top Gun Maverick has regained the number one spot. And the fact that it was able to duplicate the success and the achievement of the first Top Gun film in a completely different marketplace is absolutely phenomenal. And, and yes, I know some people say like, well, it wouldn't have done it without National Cinema Day. Well, sure, you can make that assumption or that presumption. I think it actually still would have been, if not number one, pretty close to number one, if National Cinema Day hadn't happened. It was just kind of on that trajectory, but this is a very special movie. We've been sitting here talking about it all summer long. What other movie can you think of that would come out in on Memorial Day that we're still talking about as a number one movie on Labor Day weekend? That is an incredible amount of success, and it's not just at the box office. There have been reports that it's the number one biggest digital seller of all time in its first week available for purchase digitally. People cannot get enough of this movie and this surge late in its box office run has actually pushed it to number five all time on the highest grossing domestic films list. It is now past Black Panther. Black Panther has now been bumped down to number six. So now the five highest grossing films of all time at the domestic box office, Star Wars The Force Awakens, Avengers Endgame, Spider-Man No Way Home, Avatar, which will be getting its own re-release later this month, and then Top Gun Maverick now at number five. And then we look at the domestic box office grocers adjusted for inflation. Top Gun Maverick now ranking number 31. It has passed Black Panther. It has passed Thunderball. And looking at the movies that it could pass here in the next week or so, Jurassic World, you may have heard of that movie. The Avengers, you may have heard of that movie. So it just keeps passing classic blockbusters, newer blockbusters. There's not really much else that you can say about the movie at this point. It's a phenomenon. It has been a phenomenon for quite some time. And this boost of enthusiasm from National Cinema Day and, to be honest, the lack of enthusiasm for new releases and the lack of new releases overall have helped it get into this position to regain the number one spot. When we look at the Labor Day weekend, we weren't even close, though, to busting any sort of record or even coming into the top five. These are the top five Labor Day weekend grosses domestically. We set the record. We shattered it last year on this weekend with the release of Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, a $94.6 million debut. Then The Sixth Sense at number two, which did not debut on Labor Day weekend. That was a holdover release. 2007's version of Halloween was there at number three. That was a new release. Then Crazy Rich Asians, which was not a new release. That was a holdover with $28.5 million. And Guardians of the Galaxy, which was also not a new release at $22.9 million. And it's great to talk about this enthusiasm with movies and with Top Gun Maverick, but the fact of the matter is that while a lot of people went to the movies this past weekend, because of the $3 tickets offered for National Cinema Day, the overall box office gross didn't really go up that much. When we look at the box office weekend total, it was a slight uptick from last weekend, but you can see we are still well below the average and well below even where we were this time last year. So this was a 
boost of people that went to the theaters, but not a boost in money. I think they knew that was going to happen, though. This was all about getting people to go out to their local theater to see a movie for the first time, to see a new movie that they hadn't seen before. And when we look at the estimated attendance numbers, if the goal was to get people to go out in theaters, it was a wild success because these are estimates I looked at. I took the grosses from last Saturday, meaning August 27th, and then this past Saturday, which was September 3rd, I divided the daily gross for a few movies by the average ticket price, so $3 for this past Saturday because tickets were $3 in almost every theater domestically, and then an average ticket price of $9.57 for Saturday, August 27th, which is a little higher than what the National Association of Theater Owners says is the average ticket price, but I think is still low compared to what most people are probably paying for a ticket. So these are estimated numbers, but look at the increase in attendance for these movies. So for example, estimated attendance for Saturday, August 27th on Top Gun Maverick was about 217,000 people. For Saturday, September the 3rd, it was 872,000. DC League of Super Pets, Saturday, August 27th, Estimated attendance of 195,000 people. On September 3rd, 847,000. Bullet Train saw an increase of about 550,000 people. The Invitation had 420,000 more people on its second Saturday seeing the movie than it did on its first Saturday. Beast had an attendance boost of a little less than 400,000 people. Minions, The Rise of Gru, we really saw a lot of family films getting a big boost. It had about a $475,000 attendance boost on National Cinema Day. So yes, the box office numbers were low, but there were a lot of people that were actually at the theater that were buying concessions. They were cashing in on popcorn and drinks, even though a lot of them cut their prices. And that's what this was all about. However, I'm sad to report there was a dark side to National Cinema Day. It's one that I experienced, and then after sharing my experience on social media, I found out that it is one that many people also shared. I went to see my favorite movie of all time. That's why I'm wearing this shirt. It was re-released this past weekend, Jaws in 3D on National Cinema Day. I went to one of my favorite theaters in my local market. I wanted to experience the day. I wanted to support that theater, and I was looking forward to seeing my favorite movie ever in a format that I had never seen it presented in before, which would be 3D. And it was the worst movie-going experience of my life. I actually got up halfway through the movie and left because the audience behavior in this theater was so intolerable. And listen, I know that there are lots of younger moviegoers that love the movies, that go and know how to behave in movies, but this was not the case with the group of teenagers that were in the theater that I was trying to watch Jaws in. There were about 20 or 30 uh, teenagers that were walking in and out of the theater, stomping up and down the stairs, in and out, like come in, sit down for two minutes, get up, literally run down the stairs, run back up the stairs, yelling down the aisle at their friends, sitting there when they were sitting down, they were on their phones, they were taking pictures, they were talking loudly. And they made up probably, I would say, half of the audience. The other half were trying to watch the movie and they were making their displeasure known. They were shushing, they were telling them to be quiet. The teenagers would yell back at them and tell them to shut up and it would cause an even bigger scene. Mara got up a couple times and asked somebody to come in and tried to patrol the audience behavior. And so about halfway through, I just got sick of it all and said, I give up, let's just go. And so we left. 
That really sucks because this was supposed to be A, a celebration of movie going for a lot of people, and B, for me, a celebration of my favorite movie, and it turned into a thoroughly negative experience. And from so many other people that have shared their stories, this seems to have been a common theme in some theaters around the country. There were many people that said that they had gone on National Cinema Day and had great, enthusiastic, respectful audiences, and that's wonderful, but it does seem like there was a very healthy portion of National Cinema Day that did not go as anticipated and that reminded some people of why they don't go to the movies. For my part, I actually did contact my local theater manager about what happened, and shortly before we came on the air today, I received a response from them. Now, I'm not going to name the theater or the manager because I don't really care to say what theaters I frequent, and also because they didn't clear me to name them in this show, but this was the response that I received from my local theater manager in part. They said, quote, unfortunately, National Cinema Day unexpectedly turned into babysitting day for us at the theater, and I apologize that your experience was far from ideal. Parents left hundreds of unaccompanied teenagers on our doorstep, most of whom had no respect for authority and would not cooperate with simple requests. When asked to leave, they refused. After multiple requests, they would cause a huge scene and or would run slash scatter into various auditoriums, spreading the issue. I personally responded to concerns in your showing and countless others, as did all of the managers and several employees working that night. I apologize that we were unable to quiet the groups, but please know that it was not from a lack of effort. Because of the number of disruptive situations happening simultaneously throughout the building, local law enforcement was called to help twice. Unfortunately, we were actually forced to lock up slash shut down early. And I can say that I did see that behavior outside in the hallway as we were leaving. Just people running from theater to theater, in and out. I would imagine that most people that went to a showing that day at that theater did not have a good experience. And I sympathize with my local theater manager, but at the same time, there is a posted policy outside of that specific theater that says that nobody under 17 years old is allowed in that theater without parental supervision after 6 p.m., which was when I went to see my movie. So I will say that there was a lack of theater enforcement from the very beginning because it was obvious that large groups of people under 16 years old were being allowed into the theater without parental supervision. So that lack of enforcement at the beginning of their own policy, probably because they didn't want to have to deal with dozens of, and I saw them, angry teenagers demanding to know why they couldn't be let in, caused many people in that theater to have a negative experience. And this is what needs to be worked out with theaters. Time and time again, when people tell me about the theatrical experience and why they don't go anymore, the number one answer by far is audience behavior. Now, I understand that here you had a situation where you had a large group of young moviegoers that just wouldn't follow the rules, but at the same time, this is an everyday occurrence at theaters around the country. People on their phones, people talking, people causing a disruption, and generally theaters are not enforcing their own policies, and that as much as anything else, maybe with the exception being the cost of moviegoing, is what is keeping people away from theaters. So if they decide to do a National Cinema Day again, and based on these results, maybe they will, these theaters had better come prepared. I understand this is the first one. They didn't know exactly what was going to happen. But if they want to make this an enjoyable day for everybody, a day of celebration for the movies, which is what it was supposed to be, these theaters are going to have to look at and enforce those policies to make sure that it's not a negative experience or else it's just counterproductive. And like I said, I am not going to 
paint all teenagers with a big brush. Just like with the whole gentle minions thing, I'm sure a lot of those teenagers, the young people going to see the movies, were dressing up in their suits and watching the movie because it was a fun thing to do with their friends. And then there was a number of them that were causing disruptions in theaters and that caused people to have a negative experience. I'm sure that there were plenty of teenagers that went to the movies because they could afford to and because they wanted to enjoy the cinema, and that's wonderful. But you have to enforce behavior amongst all people, whatever age they are, who are not following the policy of that cinema, and it seems like that just wasn't done in a lot of theaters around the country. So while I am very happy that National Cinema Day was a success for a lot of movies and a lot of theaters and theater owners, there's a lot of work to be done to make sure it is a success for all people that decide to go to the movies. Let's look at a snapshot of what people could actually go see on the first annual National Cinema Day. This is my local market when you look at what movies were available. And you see literally, I think exactly 50% of all showtimes were for six films. Spider-Man No Way Home, which had 9% of all available showings. Followed by 3,000 Years of Longing, which actually was just behind Spider-Man No Way Home. I think there were a lot of empty theaters showing that movie this weekend here locally. Honk for Jesus, Save Your Soul was actually just behind, tied with The Invitation, both with 8% of available showtimes. Then Beast also tied with 8%, and Bullet Train at about 8%. So really, if you look at that top half, Spider-Man No Way Home, 3,000 Years of Longing, Honk for Jesus, The Invitation, Beast, and Bullet Train all had about the same amount of showings available. Overall, this was 293 showtimes across six theaters and 72 screens. Then you see the Top Gun Maverick, DC League of Super Pets, Where the Crawdads Sing, and Dragon Ball Super all had a similar amount of showtimes between 15 and 20. Jaws kind of trailing the pack there, 13 showtimes available on National Cinema Day locally. And then really the biggest pie slice here was the All Others, just kind of a mishmash of different movies. That was 22% of all showtimes these movies included Thor, Love and Thunder, Orphan, First Kill, Gigi and Nate, Minions, Nope, Elvis, Breaking, The Good Boss, and a lot of other movies. That's what it looked like locally for me, but you know me, I'm always trying to kind of get a bigger view of what other people might have been able to get. So I looked at one of the largest film markets in the United States, which is New York City, to see if it differed at all as far as availability from what we had here in my local market. Now, this is probably not all New York City theaters. This was 46 theaters encompassing 1,860 showtimes on National Cinema Day. And you can see that a lot of the percentages add up. For example, Spider-Man No Way Home was the top available movie with 9% of available showtimes. That matches exactly what we had here in the local market. But you also see things like 3,000 Years of Longing, which was slightly more available in my local market. Honk for Jesus, Save Your Soul was actually also slightly more available percentage-wise in my local market. The Invitation lined up about right. Dragon Ball Super was actually 8% of all screenings in New York City on National Cinema Day compared to 5% here in my local market. Top Gun Maverick was actually a little bit less available in the New York City area. 5% of local screenings there versus 7% here. And you see that there are movies like Breaking and even Bodies, Bodies, Bodies that were much more available in the New York City market than they were in my local market. Although that's not incredibly surprising given the large number of theaters and the different types of programming at these theaters. 378 showtimes, which is about 20% of the total showtimes available on National Cinema Day, were devoted to the kind of other slice movies like Orphan First Kill, The Good Boss, Moon Man, Where the Crawdads Sing, Gigi and Nate, and others compared to 22% here in my local market. So while there were a few movies that were slightly more available or slightly less available in New York City, 
the vast majority of films were about the same. And it just goes to show you that there's not a huge strategy shift between markets, at least not right now. Of course, right now we also have a very spread out number of movies. We don't have one movie that's dominant. And that's because Hollywood has largely abandoned uh, the last part of August, most of August, honestly, and September. We don't really start picking up until later this month going into October and November, which is odd. The fact that they basically just completely disregarded two whole months out of the movie going year. I, I don't really know the reasoning behind that. So that's a wrap up of National Cinema Day. A lot of ups and downs, but I would say overall they achieved their objectives kind of. Let's look at the movies that are the top per theater averages for the past weekend. At number one is Loving Highsmith, which is a documentary about novelist Patricia Highsmith. She was the author behind the works that were adapted into films like Strangers on a Train and The Talented Mr. Ripley, amongst others. At number two is a re-release of the Mike Nichols film Carnal Knowledge in only two theaters. That brought in $3,866 per theater. At number three is 1982, a film from Lebanon that received some limited release earlier this year. It was back out in one theater with a $2,700 total. And then at number five, the only movie in wide release to make the per theater list was Jaws with $2,117 per theater in 1,246 theaters. It probably helped that Jaws was available almost exclusively in premium formats, IMAX, Real-D, 3D. That probably put it over the top, but I'm also a little bit happy that my favorite movie was in the top five per theater average chart for the weekend. When we look at movies that were in limited release, so 1,000 theaters or fewer, Orphan First Kill continues to play well. I still think that Paramount missed a huge opportunity here by doing the day and date release method. 529 theaters for $734,691 total. Breaking holds up fairly well in its second week. 909 theaters with a $669,000 total. The Good Boss has an expansion in its third week. It moves from the per theater chart to the overall limited release chart with $115,000 total in 143 theaters. Marcel Shell with Shoes on might be winding down its theatrical run, but it's still got some life left in it in the limited release box office, $109,000. And then Emily the Criminal in its fourth week, also winding down, sadly, its limited release, another $90,000 total. When we look at the top grocers for 2022 in limited release, Orphan First Kill moves up to number four on the chart. That moves Cyrano down to number five and Lal Singh Chada down to number six. The top three remain the same. BTS Permission to Dance, KGF Chapter 2, and Marcel the Shell with Shoes On. And then number seven through ten are Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris, The Worst Person in the World, Vengeance, and Crimes of the Future. The summer season is officially over at the box office, but that doesn't mean the top 10 movies have stopped moving. As a matter of fact, we have a couple of different adjustments this week. Top Gun Maverick, of course, remains number one, as does the rest of the top five. The adjustments we have are all in the numbers six through 10. Nope jumps over Lightyear, bumping Lightyear down to number eight. And then Bullet Train knocks out where the crawdad scene looks like it will jump over the black phone next week to become the ninth highest grossing film of the summer. If there's one thing that National Cinema Day did do, it provided me a faint glimmer of hope that DC League of Super Pets may yet make the top 10 summer movie list, although I really don't think it's got enough gas left in the tank. I think it's going to be the only movie that I picked to be a top 10 movie that's not going to make it. You see here, Bullet Train, by virtue of now being the number 10 movie of the summer, is now my ninth correct prediction as far as which movies would be top 10 hits, although none of them are in the correct order. If Bullet Train can jump up to number nine next 
next week, then I'll have maybe one in the correct order. But other than that, I was very inaccurate as far as where movies would fall and still very skeptical that DC League of Super Pets is going to give me a perfect season as far as picking specific movies. Let's look outside of the domestic marketplace now to the international marketplace. So these are all markets outside of the United States and Canada that did not have $3 tickets this weekend. Bullet Train was the number one movie with $9.8 million, followed by Minions The Rise of Gru with $8.9 million. Top Gun Maverick goes up to number three with $5.8 million. And then two films from China, Return to Dust, which actually came out quite some time ago, but it's been a very slow weekend at the Chinese box office as well. And so an older film kind of bubbled back up to the top. And then New Gods, Yang Jian at number five with a $5.1 million total. So when you combine the domestic box office with the international box office, we get our worldwide number. These are still rough estimates. I apologize. I didn't quite have time to crunch these particular numbers. Bullet Train is the number one movie in the world yet again with $15.2 million, followed by Minions, The Rise of Gru, Top Gun Maverick at number three, DC League of Super Pets at number four, and then Spider-Man No Way Home returning to the global top 10 with $8.6 million. So this is really driven by a lot of the films that domestic audiences were going to see this past weekend. When we look at the 2022 domestic box office, not really a whole lot of change. The top five are the same, Top Gun Maverick, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, Jurassic World Dominion, The Batman, and Minions, The Rise of Gru. Thor Love and Thunder stays at number six, followed by Sonic the Hedgehog. Elvis jumps up one spot to number eight. That bumps Uncharted down one spot to number nine. And then Nope has noped Lightyear off of the 2022 domestic box office list. It is now the number 10 movie of the year with $120.7 million. The box office market share overall does not change despite the surge in attendance. Universal still has the top market share for 2022 with 25% of all tickets sold, followed by Paramount at 22%, Disney Fox at 19%, Sony at 14%, Warner Brothers at 13%, and then all other studios sticking at 7%. Looking at the 2022 global box office, Top Gun Maverick now at $1.44 billion over Jurassic World Dominion, which still is attempting to scratch and claw its way to $1 billion. It's now at $996.1 million. Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness at number three, followed by Minions, The Rise of Gru, The Batman at number five, Thor Love and Thunder at six, The Battle at Lake Chungjin 2 at number seven, Moon Man at number eight, Fantastic Beasts, The Secrets of Dumbledore at number nine, and Sonic the Hedgehog 2 at number 10. When we look at the worldwide top 10 over the previous 365 days, so if you were to take today's date, roll back one full year, these are the top 10 movies worldwide over that period of time. Spider-Man No Way Home at number one and adding a little bit to its global total by virtue of its re-release, followed by Top Gun Maverick at number two, Jurassic World Dominion at number three, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness at number four, The First Battle at Lake Changjin at number five, Minions The Rise of Gru at number six, No Time to Die at number seven, The Batman at number eight, Thor Love and Thunder at number nine, and the Battle at Lake Chungjin 2 at number 10. We are only 24 days away from both No Time to Die and the Battle at Lake Chungjin rotating off of this chart by virtue of having been on it for 365 days straight. Before we look at what's been going on on the streaming charts, I always like to do a flashback to a weekend in box office pass, and I'm actually not going to go too far back because, yes, this has been a disappointing weekend, not as far as number of people, but still as far as numbers. We've had the two lowest grossing summer weekends consecutively, but I wanted to do a reminder of just how far we've come. So we're actually only going to go back two years to the 35th weekend of the year. Now, it was not Labor Day weekend. It was 
August 28th through 30th, but we're going back to the year 2020, which is when the countdown to the New Mutants actually reached its conclusion. Number one was actually fairly similar to what we had this past weekend. The New Mutants opened to $7 million, followed by Unhinged at $2.6 million. It was in its third week of release. Now, this is interesting because Box Office Mojo has now started listing this separately. Tenet, when it originally opened, was open for a weekend in Canada and then some preview screenings the week before its official opening in the United States and then its opening weekend in the U.S. And Warner Brothers decided to roll all those numbers into one box office opening. Box Office Mojo has now listed out the Canadian release, which is the domestic box office that happened the weekend before it was released in the U.S. separately. So Tenet actually comes in at number three with $1.7 million coming in from Canadian theaters. Bill and Ted Face the Music opened to $1.1 million. That was a hybrid release. And the personal history of David Copperfield opened to $475,000. So yes, the box office isn't where we want it to be, but we've come a long way from two years ago. I know that's not saying much, but, you know, baby steps. Let, let's put it all in perspective. Turning away now from what people are watching in theaters to what people are watching at home on various streaming services and VOD platforms. And we'll start, first of all, with the iTunes chart. As I mentioned, reports are that Top Gun Maverick is the highest selling digital movie of all time in its first week. So it's no surprise that it remains number one on the iTunes charts. Minions, The Rise of Gru, available for purchase, is at number two. Nope, which is currently only available for premium video on demand, the higher priced rental, is at number three. DC League of Super Pets, available for both purchase and PVOD is at number four. The Top Gun 2 movie collection remains at number five, followed by Jurassic World Dominion, available for purchase at number six. Elvis, available for purchase at number seven, also now streaming on HBO Max. The Northman returns to the chart at number eight. Everything Everywhere All at Once remains at number nine. And then Where the Crawdads Sing is also available now for purchase digitally. It comes onto the chart at number 10. Let's look now at the Netflix chart. So these are the most watched Netflix programs for the week of August 22nd through the 28th. And I calculate this with my own global neural metric. I call it the PFV number. Basically, I take the number of hours watched, divide it by the length of the program, and that gives me the number of potential finished views, meaning the number of people that potentially could have watched the entire thing. That's what that PFV number is. At number one is the Mark Wahlberg, Kevin Hart film, Me Time, with a PFV of 34.2, followed by the Netflix movie, Look Both Ways with a PFE of 15.6. The next 365 days is in third place with a PFE of 14.4. The Netflix series Echoes debuts with a PFE of 12.8, followed by Day Shift, which drops from number one to number five with a PFE of 10.9. The Netflix movie Loving Adults is at number six with a PFE of 9.9, followed by The Sandman, which stays at number seven with a PFE of 6.7. The Netflix movie That's a More is at number eight with a PFE of 6.5, followed by the only non-Netflix film, or program on this top 10 list. Tom Cruise is the mummy for some reason. A PFE of 6.3. So 6.3 million disappointed Netflix viewers that watched 2017's The Mummy. And at number 10, the buzzworthy Purple Hearts, the Netflix original movie that not a lot of people saw coming with a PFE of 6.1. Looking at the most watched 2022 Netflix programs, no change really in any of the rankings. You see that Stranger Things 4 continues to creep up on the Adam Project. The Adam Project with a PFE of 147.2. Stranger Things 4 now with a PFE of 140.1. So we'll see if it's able to take the most watched or at least most potentially finished program of 2022 away from the Adam Project. The Gray Man remains at number three, but Purple Hearts is also creeping up on it. 
PFV for the Gray Man's at 120.8. The PFV for Purple Hearts is at 114.8. Hustle remains at number five, followed by the Sea Beast, Bridgerton Season 2, The Man from Toronto, The Tender Swindler, and Senior Year. Looking at the most-watched Netflix programs since they started providing this data back in June of 2021, also no change in any of the different rankings. Squid Game Season 1 remains number one, followed by Red Notice, Don't Look Up, and The Atom Project. Stranger Things 4 remains at number five, followed by The Gray Man, The Unforgivable, Purple Hearts at number eight, Hustle at number nine, and Money Heist Part 5 at number 10. Let's look at the Nielsen ratings now. This is a newer chart, and it's not a perfect chart. This is a minimum of two plus minutes viewed. This is in the US only, and this does not include all streaming services, although they're becoming more and more inclusive of several more as streaming becomes more and more prevalent. There's also about a month delay, so this is for the week of August 1st through August 7th, which is the week that Lightyear premiered on Disney+, and it was easily number one with 21.7 million hours watched total. Uncharted on Netflix made its debut that week, and it was number two with 16.9 million hours watched. Purple Hearts at number three on Netflix with 13.8 million, and then we see Prey on Hulu with 9.7 million hours watched. Now, these aren't all devices, so you can't make definitive judgments about how many people total watch these movies but this is very illuminating when you see that the movie on Disney Plus Lightyear was able to draw 21.7 million hours watched versus 9.7 million hours for Prey that just goes to show you how far ahead of the game Disney Plus is with a lot of their movies and even Uncharted a movie that had already run its course through theaters the fact that it was able to bring in almost double what Prey was again just goes to show you the saturation for Netflix so Prey a movie that I really liked on Hulu but Hulu not quite at the level to hit with the bigger streaming services just yet. The Great Man at number three with 9.3 million hours watched, followed by Seeing Two, and then four new movies, The Age of Adeline on Netflix at number seven, Tower Heist on Hulu at number eight, Men in Black Three on Netflix at number nine, and then at number 10, 13 Lives on Amazon. 13 Lives is the latest movie from Ron Howard. It actually reportedly got the best test audience screening scores in the history of MGM. MGM was then acquired by Amazon, which decided to release the movie straight to Amazon Prime after a limited theatrical run. And you see here the result of that is a 10th place finish with 5.3 million hours watched behind Men in Black 3 on Netflix. When you look at 13 Lives, it's got an 87% certified fresh score on Rotten Tomatoes right now. The audience score is at 95%. And yet I would promise you probably most people have never heard of this movie. And I don't really think that's what Ron Howard is going for, that he would make a movie that would just kind of get abandoned on a streaming service for no one to ever see or hear of it again. Maybe it'll make some award season noise. I, I don't really know. But I don't know. I think you can only screw directors over so much before they stop working with certain studios. And I don't think this is the ideal result for this movie. And honestly, how much value did it bring to Amazon Prime? How many people signed up for Amazon Prime Video for this movie or didn't cancel their subscription? Most people don't even have Amazon Prime for Amazon Prime Video. It's like an add-on for people. So of all the, the different strategies for the different streaming services, Amazon Prime is the one that I get the least because I don't know why Amazon needs it unless it's just another revenue stream. But my God, don't they have enough revenue streams already? I guess they need more revenue. They just, you know, they're making Lord of the Rings for a billion dollars. So, you know, whatever. Anyway, I, I don't get it, but that's just me. One other thing to note, I think this is the first week since we started looking at the top streaming movies that Encanto was not on this chart. My guess is it's going to be back on the chart very soon. There were just so many new titles to fit in here, uh, but still just something to note because it's, it's a movie that we've said over and over again is a fixture on the chart 
not on the chart this week. Finally, let's look at the most watched streaming shows in the U.S., according to Nielsen. Stranger Things returns to number one. Remember, this is all seasons, not just the fourth season. Virgin River is at number two. The Sandman enters the chart at number three, followed by Coco Melon and Keep Breathing at numbers four and five. NCIS is at number six, followed by Grey's Anatomy at number seven. Uncoupled is at number eight. Trainwreck Woodstock 99 is at number nine. And then at number 10, the only program not on Netflix that's on this list, Friends on HBO Max. They paid a lot of money for the exclusive rights to Friends. 7.3 million hours watched, good enough for number 10 on this chart. So that wraps it up for charts this week. A number of different kinds of releases coming out. First of all, tomorrow night there's a one-night theatrical event for After Ever Happy, which is a true distortion of the English language in the interest of keeping the titling mechanism of a series consistent. What a dumb title. On Thursday, which is also Disney Plus Day, Robert Zemeckis' remake of Pinocchio starring Tom Hanks as Geppetto hits the streaming service. I have seen it. I have a review for it. I will say that the review embargo does not drop until the actual movie drops at midnight Pacific time which is a perfect time for a review embargo. So take from that what you may. I'm not casting an aspersion either way. I'll just say that I will have a review for Pinocchio that I cannot release literally until the movie is out. Also opening in many theaters nationwide is a horror film that I've heard a lot of buzz about called Barbarian. There's also a big release from India hitting theaters this weekend. It's called Brahmastra Part 1 Shiva, and it is the first film in an Indian cinematic universe called The Astroverse. There's a lot of buzz around this movie, potentially a big box office breakout hit, both domestically and worldwide. And then in limited release this weekend is a down and dirty little horror movie that played Sundance called Speak No Evil, which comes from Denmark and the Netherlands. If you like that uncomfortable kind of horror, the kind that just kind of makes your skin crawl, this is the movie for you. It is a tough watch, but I actually really enjoyed it. It has very much to do with social dynamics. Uh, It's got some twists and turns along the way. So seek that out if you like that kind of horror movie. That does it for charts this week. I've got more this week. I've got the Pinocchio review coming out when the movie drops in the middle of the night. I've got uh, more looks at the Lord of the Rings, the Rings of Power. I've got more looks at She-Hulk, House of the Dragon. There's so much that's airing right now, and I'm kind of trying to figure out my pattern. I'm going to be doing some of them two episodes at the time. Some of them I'm going to try to do week to week, but I'm also going on vacation in a couple of weeks, so we're going to have to skip most of them uh, for an entire week coming up. Don't worry, I've got some programming worked out that I'm going to put out. So anyway, it may be a little inconsistent as to when I cover a lot of these shows, but I am going to be talking about them here on the channel. Thanks to Carbon Health as always for being my partner here on the show, but most of all, thank you for watching. I'll be back later this week and then next week with even more box office stuff. And then in two weeks, I'll be doing a summer wrap up where I look at things like market share and maybe my final summer positions will be more locked in by then. So look forward to that. Thank you so much. Until next time, stay safe and I'll see you next time. Bye.